treasure of heaven crucified. Oh, worthy is the
this evening. We'll change it up just a little bit here, put it in F. Let's sing that song, I Know It Was the Blood. Well, I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. Yes, I know it was the blood for me. And I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. And I know it was the blood for me. And I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. Yes, I know it was the blood for me. One more time. And I know it was the blood. Yes, I know it was the blood. I know it was the blood for me. One day when I was lost, he died upon the cross. And I know it was the blood for me. Lord, lift me up and let me stand. Faith on heaven's stable land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's stable land. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. And there's something in my heart like a stream running down. Makes me feel so happy and happy as can be. And when I think of Jesus and what he's done for me, there is something more than gold in my soul. Yes, there's something more than gold. as can be. 
think of Jesus and what he's done for me. There is something more than gold in my soul. Yes, there's something more than gold. us this evening. Uh, we just want to remember them. And if you could just uh, remember dad, he is currently away on work and he's traveling. So if we could just remember him. I also have here to continue to remember uh, Brother Jeff Jackson, who is still, as far as I know, in the hospital recovering from his thyroid surgery. So we just want to remember him. I also have here a request for Sister Christy Williams, if we could just remember her still. And also, if we could remember Sister Shirley Lingle. And I also have uh, the Whitlock.
family who is not here with us today. Uh, they're having to work this evening. So if you would just remember those and by the uplifting of hands, any unspoken prayer requests? Our Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, it's good to be in your house today, O oh God. We pray, Lord, that in coming, Lord Jesus, we show our love and our adoration to you, Lord, and our appreciation for you, Lord, and all you've done for us, Father. And by coming, Lord, we want to learn more about you, how we may better serve you, how we may be better children of God, Lord, obedient and walking faithfully Lord in this your way I pray Lord forgive us of all our sins or shortcomings Lord we thank you for your mercies it's new every morning Lord we thank you Lord for your your grace and you've shown us Lord we've sing these songs to you Father in gratitude Father for all you've done for us Lord surely our tongue Lord can express our thankfulness Lord Lord we pray that Tonight, Lord, you'll come, Lord, from the bountiful stores, Lord, that you have for us. And Lord, may your word come, Lord, and gush forth into our hearts. And I pray, Lord, we leave here happy, Lord, rejoicing, Lord, for what you've shown us through your word. May each question be answered, Lord. Hearts be delivered. Comfort given, Lord. For your word, Lord, provide all these things for us, Lord. Everything that we have need of in this life that pertain unto, you said, life and godliness, Lord, you, you provide for us. We pray that you will grant it, Father. And Lord, we made mention of these requests, Lord, that was uh, voiced. Father, we pray that you will touch Brother J uh, Jackson, Lord, and continue to heal him, Lord, from the surgery, this thyroid. And I pray, Lord, uh, the problem that he had to... That made him have the surgery in the first place, Lord, that will be healed, Lord. Granted, Father, we pray for Sister Christie, Lord, Whitlocks, McCafferty's, and the different ones that was mentioned. Lord, continue to comfort Sister Shirley, Lord, over the passing of her mother. We pray that you'll bless her, Lord, in the days to come. Lord, we commit this service into your hand. We commit our pastor into your hands, Lord, that you will guide him. And Lord, is the words that he speak, Lord, may they be exactly, Lord, what you want him to say. And I know it will accomplish, Lord, that which you've intended it to, Father. Grant these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats for just a moment. We're going to try to sing the entire song of Cover Me tonight. I've had several people telling me that I need to sing the whole song. So, <laughs> uh, if you would just help me. And we'll give it a try. Peace of God, cover me. Cover me. Cover me. Peace of God, cover me.
Cover me when I am not strong. Cover me when I am going through the storm. Cover me when all seems hopeless. Cover me when faith is gone. Let the peace that passes all I understand cover me. So cover me when I am hurting. Cover me when I am not strong. Cover me when I am going through the storm. And cover me. Seems hopeless. Cover me when my faith is gone. Let the peace that passes all I understand. So, peace of God, cover me. Cover me. Cover Try it again now. So peace of God cover me, cover me, cover me. Peace of God cover me through the So 
Deacons come forward. And if we could, after they come forward, we'll sing the song, Consume You, Lord. Brother Tom, if you would. First of all, I'd like to ask you to remember Sister Karen Pruitt. And Sister Karen has had the fifth brain bleed that has landed her in the hospital and uh, caused some damage. And uh, they really don't know why exactly that that's happening, but uh, it's obviously a a very serious situation for her. And uh, I'm in contact daily with Brother Tim and Brother Timothy Pruitt. And uh, they really appreciate the fact that folks are praying and and showing concern on behalf of Sister Karen. Uh, She responds uh, pretty uh, regularly, and uh, they're thankful for all the progress that she's making uh, since that last incident. We also want to remember Sister Karen Buchanan, uh, who's not here tonight. Sister Karen has got 
problems with her hip. It's kind of a situation where she has bone on bone. And uh, a doctor who is not, uh, I guess to say it nicely, a doctor who is not really very attentive uh, to her. And so she said, I just would so love to be in church tonight. She said, it just grieves my heart that I can't be there. Uh, she said, the spirit is so much, uh, so uplifting just to be in that atmosphere. And tonight, certainly, it is a wonderful atmosphere. And <clears throat> I, I said to Sister Karen, well, I'll pray that, uh, that, that God will lead you to the right person and uh, get the right help. And she said, yes, she said, you can do that. And add this. She said, I believe that our God is still a miracle-working God. She said, you pray that God will touch me supernaturally. And I said, we'll pray for both things. As I said, God heals through a number of different channels. And I said, you can count on us praying for her tonight. So I want you to take that as an assembly, as a, a burden on your heart for Sister Karen. Her desire certainly would be here to be here tonight. Let's sing it one more time. Consume me, Lord, with the fire of your spirit. together and I want you to bring your request to him tonight because God cares about your need just as much as any other need that's been mentioned tonight. Heavenly Father as we come into your holy presence, Lord we don't want to say or do anything that would disturb this wonderful holy atmosphere. We pray in the name of Jesus that you would just minister mightily Lord to every heart and every soul. We are a people Lord who live in these bodies we refer to our state as one who is trapped inside of this dying humanity. But Lord, one day we shall be set free. One day we shall step into the body you have prepared for us. In that body, there is no sickness. There is no slowing down. There is no confusion or pain. Lord, we long for that day. Our desire, Lord, to be here tonight is to hear and to allow our faith to grow. And Father, in any way possible, to become better Christians, Lord, better at everything that you've called us to be. And Lord, I just ask that you would just help us, I pray tonight as we move out of the way, that your Holy Spirit would move in and speak to every heart. We want to say tonight, we love you, Lord. We appreciate your mercies to us. Father, for those who are hurting tonight, especially Sister Karen Pruitt, we commit her into your hands, Lord. Sister Karen is a very precious and wonderful sister in the Lord. And Father, we, we commit her to you. We lift her up before your throne of grace and mercy. And know, Lord Jesus, that this strange thing that has befallen her, Lord, we know it doesn't come from you. And so we curse it. We stand against it. And we believe, Lord, that you are able, O oh God, just to touch her and to help her to be well and restore her back to her home and her family once more. 
Lord, we think of Sister Karen Buchanan tonight. We also pray that your mercies would be extended to her, Lord. We believe you to be a God of miracles and a God who cares about everything that we suffer. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just minister to her need tonight. Bless her abundantly. Give her strength. Give her healing, Lord, I pray. No matter how healing comes, we're going to thank you for it and give you praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Lord, take complete control of this service now. We give you thanks for just the opportunity to be here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Take your Bible, if you don't mind, let's take a look in the scripture at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. God bless you all. It's good to be back. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to see you all. And I uh, appreciate uh, the good report that we had on the services over the weekend. And uh, last Wednesday, it proves that we... Uh, had the right people to come and help out, and uh, that's just a great blessing. And I, I love to hear about how you are blessed by the services when uh, we're not here. You always need to understand this, that if I'm not here in my body, I'm always here in spirit. And uh, I, I certainly miss being here, and it's always great to be able to come back and see you again. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable in all. The word honorable in the Greek means something very, very valuable, very, very precious. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. I just wanted to say publicly as well, Sister Shirley Lingle, uh, first time Sister Shirley's been in the church since I've been back, and uh, since your mom passed away, Sister Shirley, we stand with you in prayer and uh, just trust that the Lord will see you through in the days ahead. Your mom was a special person, and you were a special person to your mom. And if anybody in this church, I know there are many people who are involved in caregiving. Sister Shirley has the heart of a caregiver, and uh, she has certainly been attentive not only to her mom, but to her husband and her daughter and many others in life. And Sister Shirley, we are just honored that you're with us and we just pray that god will bless you and you want me to stop right now don't you so uh we just are praying with you just trust that the lord will see you through and uh, may god be with you sister sylvester it's great to have you tonight didn't know you were going to be here god bless you always good to see you and uh good to have you here tonight and uh for each and every one of you may god bless you sister uh, Jesse Cockman and the rest of David's family uh, are not here. They're out west, out in Nebraska, visiting with family. And uh, I stay in contact with the boys out there. And uh, so we're glad that Brother David is, is here and he's able to sit upright, have nourishment, and uh, survive. Anybody got an extra plate or a chair at your table? David's available. So... Wanted to mention here we are uh, closing in on uh, running out of places for our men's meeting. So uh, just a reminder for those of you that uh, if you never uh, made the, the deadline there, see me and we'll certainly do all we can to get you squeaked in through the door. I know the people who run this thing, so uh, we can see what we can do to get you in. And uh, I know it'll be a blessing. So uh, it's... Uh, the registration is still ongoing. Um, <clears throat> let me just say this in a bit of a preamble here this evening. And as I was away and I was thinking about 
you know, I get away sometimes in you, you just in traveling and just thinking about uh, the services and thinking about church and thinking about things that you say. I often go home. You may not believe this, but I often go home uh, after service, like Sunday night or Monday morning, and I'm thinking, I should send the, the, the folks an email. I should send everybody an update and explain what I meant when I said this or explain what I meant when I said that. Uh, and you may, you know, some of you are looking at me and saying, wow, you don't need to do that. But there are times when I feel like I, I need to do that. And I wanted to say one thing. Uh, the last Sunday that I preached here, I made mention about singing specials. And I said in passing, I said, and nobody sang this morning, so we don't have any special singers. And I regretted saying that, uh, making that statement, because I certainly did not want to be in any way critical. As a matter of fact, I reached out to some of you and made sure uh, that you, uh, I was not saying that in particular to anyone here, and I, I certainly was not. So publicly, I want to apologize for that statement. If any of you remember it, I love to have uh, the singers sing. I love to have specials. I love to have our choir sing. I think uh, it, it adds something to the service. And I have seen many times where a special singer will change the course of a service. They'll actually affect the spirit of a service and move it in a certain way. And I, I appreciate that gift. And I never, ever, I didn't intend, and I never, never would say anything about, uh, you know, the, the gifts that operate among us because there's more gifts that operate than just this one right here. There are gifts within the body that God puts there to bless the rest of the body. And uh, I would encourage you to use that gift and just... Submit yourself to the Lord, and as the inspiration strikes you, uh, I think it's a wonderful thing uh, to have you sing. Is that all right? And I think that's an important thing, an important part of our worship. Now, also to John, i got a bit of an echo up here. I'm hearing it. I don't know whether you are or not. Uh, we, we also, too, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago or so, I talked about uh, uh, what was going on in the world, and, and the title of the sermon was What in the World is Going On? And uh, I had a lot of positive feedback about that, and there's a lot of people said that it tied together some of the loose ends. Uh, Loose ends are always being tied together as time goes on because there are things that are manifest that are ambiguous or unclear when they're said by a prophet, but they come clear when they're fulfilled, right? So, you know, when, when a prophet said, uh, you know, a, a virgin shall conceive. It's unclear what that actually means until, you know, you live through the story of Mary and Joseph and you realize, ah, okay, that's what it meant. And that's who he was referring to. So uh, there are, there are, uh, there, we live in a season where almost everything that is related to the end time is being tied together and seen by observation and by manifestation. Right, so I sometimes I, I once I do a sermon like that, I'll start gathering again, and I'm gathering pieces and gathering uh, bits of information or things that I hear and see that are related to the prophecies given to our hour, and I'll put them together uh, in a time like that, in in a service like that, so that you can see how some of these things are actually being fulfilled right as we're sitting here. And right as you're sitting in church, there are many things that are happening, uh, unfolding, uh, that a, a prophet described and many of the other prophets described for the end time. And hopefully that gives us faith to believe that, you know, after all, God was right. He knew what was going to happen. He, he ordained certain things to happen, right? 
And uh, there, there was a, a couple of folks had a, there was some question about uh, the driverless cars that Brother Branham saw, the seven continuous visions, and Brother Branham saw a driverless car. And let me tell you something. Driverless um, uh, technology is here, and it's here to stay. In Virginia, in our town where uh, Lucas went to school and Peter went to school, uh, Virginia Tech, on the edge of the campus, they have the Smart Center, Smart Road Center, where they actually uh, do much of the testing and analysis of uh, cars and automotive technology, tire, uh, tire mechanics, where uh, they test tires and, and so forth under all kinds of conditions. Smart Road Center is uh, one of those places where they have advanced technology to be able to study those things. As a matter of fact, now... At the Smart Road Center in Virginia, they would have cars that are going to be uh, uh, manufactured in, say, 2025, 2026. They're field testing those vehicles now. They're already, they're already designed, and they're field testing them. So when you dig into this technology that Brother Bannum envisioned, and all he saw was a, was a family that was in the car playing a game, and they were not handling the steering wheel. The car was navigating on its own. Uh, there was lots of different ideas about how that could actually be, but it is actually... Uh, it is actually a reality today, not only for uh, automobiles, but for airplanes as well, and for tractor trailers, and for uh, boats, and for all means of transportation. They have driverless technology now that's available. I remember uh, just a little while ago, we were at our favorite Mexican restaurant, because every town has one. I was at a restaurant, we were just standing in the parking lot talking, and there was drones flying overhead with, uh, with food for people. And uh, our town apparently is one of the uh, leading places where they uh, have developed this technology. And, you know, when you're, when you're out for lunch, you kind of got to watch it because you're, there's so many drones that are flying over and they deliver lunch to people and they'll actually take a hamburger and a milkshake and deliver it right into somebody's port in their business where they have it. Some of you are shaking your heads. You're all under 30. Uh, but for us old folks, let me tell you, that's, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not sure I could trust my lunch delivered by a drone. But anyway, it, it, there's a lot of that stuff that's happening. It's way, way ahead of what we're normally, what, what we actually think about. But what Brother Branham saw, that certainly is a reality. The other uh, question that came up was about the, uh, the May Company, where Brother Branham saw sharks swimming through the, the building. Now, <clears throat> that's a little bit of a different story because Brother Branham, um, we, we know that uh, Brother Bram doesn't say that on tape. He never said it publicly. Apparently, that was a conversation between him and Billy Paul. And uh, the, uh, there, there has been lots and lots of different, uh, different renditions, lots of different uh, events that have taken place in the May Company. The May Company apparently doesn't even exist anymore. The building doesn't exist. It's been torn down. You can go to a website. They have de- devoted a website to the May Company and all of the operations that the May Company had. And in that website, there's about a million testimonies, and I'm exaggerating a little. But there's, there's thousands of testimonies of people who either worked there or had family who worked there. It was not just one department store. It was a whole corporation that uh, had retail outfits in the California West Coast area. And they talked about this, this idea, the, the forecast or the prophecy about uh, sharks swimming in the May Company basement <clears throat> and so forth. So uh, that's one of those things where we're just going to have to leave to uh, leave to interpretation. 
because Brother Branham doesn't, he doesn't say it publicly. Uh, it's just something that's been passed on to us. And so uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say yay or nay. And I, I usually avoid it, but there's, uh, not that I'm uh, doubtful about it at all. I'm just saying that I don't have a whole lot of evidence about uh, things that, uh, that were told. And so when I bring things like that, when, it, when we do a sermon like that, I like to make sure that I can back up what I'm saying and verify that it's not just, uh, it's not just Googleable, but it is real. And so uh, we, we, uh, when, when those things become uh, known or they become manifest, certainly uh, you know, I like to share them and pass them along to you because I think it's important to recognize what, uh, what God has fulfilled and what God has actually said. Now, <clears throat> I, uh, at the risk of uh, wearing a good thing out, and I don't want to do that, uh, my, my thoughts about this whole idea of shalom in the home uh, is, has turned a little bit, and I, I've been studying on this whole idea of the meaning of marriage, and I I want to just share a little bit with you tonight, and uh, what we want to deal with is this key to a, to a successful marriage and uh, the power that exists within it. And I, I, I know that I'm not going to complete this tonight, so if you don't mind, we'll have at least 11, all right? This is number 10, so, uh, but I, I trust it'll be a help to you. And it, it is uh, certainly a very important thing. As a matter of fact, if you take your Bible... Before we get into this, just as a footnote here, take your Bible and go back to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65 prophesies about how it all comes out. Brother Branham said he loved the book of Isaiah because it told the whole story within the book and the writings of Isaiah. But if you, if you go back in the book of Isaiah and the last two chapters are really summarial, uh, they're, they're summary chapters, and Brother Branham, or sorry, not Brother Branham, but the uh, prophet Isaiah, he describes how things will actually be in the, in the very end. And in verse 21, Isaiah 65 and verse 21, it says, And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. The they he's referring to are the seed of God. They are the people of God that will live throughout eternity. And he's describing what the difference is between how we live now and how we live then. They will build and, and another will not inhabit. So this will be something that has a duration to it, okay? They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat, for as the days of the tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. And they shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. So when God envisions eternity and how it's going to be structured and how it will actually exist, it will exist for families. It will exist with the seed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And so that's why it's a very important thing for us to uh, talk about this whole idea of uh, shalom or peace in the home. And, uh, you know, I, I guess we could spiritualize it just for a moment and say, you are the home that we're talking about. You as an individual because as a, as, a, as a person who is in relationship with Christ, I want to have peace in my own heart with God no matter where life takes me. I, I want to make sure that my relationship with God is a peaceful one, 
not one that is where we're at enmity one with another. I want to make sure that I'm, at, I'm at, uh, in harmony with God so that if my life ended today, it wouldn't matter. I, 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 I'm at peace with him here. I'd be at peace with him there. And, and that's, the way I, that's the way I want to live my life. So whatever I can learn to make sure that my life and, and to improve my life, to make it more in harmony with God, then my goodness, I want to learn. I want, to, I want someone to tell me how to do that. I want to learn that. I want to practice that. And in the same way, we as uh, f- most of us are, uh, you know, I say most of us, all of us came from a family. If you didn't come from parents, I'd like to see you after church. But all of us came from a family setting of some kind. Even if the family was dysfunctional or the family was... Uh, uh, you know, weakened by different problems that, that people have in the world or uh, whatever else, or you came from a fine Christian family, whatever else, uh, families are important to God. They're important to God in the beginning, and they're important to God right out in the very end. Because the seed of the Lord and their offspring with them shall be counted and considered in the world to come. And so this is, a, this is an issue with God. And so I'd say this, that whatever we can learn, whatever the Bible can show us about peace within ourselves, I think that's an important thing. But I think also whatever way we can learn to establish peace within our families, I think that's important too. And, and peace within our assembling uh, with the saints of, 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 the, uh, of the bride of Christ, I think that's a wonderful thing. We should learn that. We should, we should practice that. It's, it's not easy in a world that we live like we live in, but I believe it is important. And you know what? It doesn't really matter what the world says. It's okay. I'm giving you permission to believe things that are countercultural. Countercultural means that no matter what the culture says, uh, we're going to believe what's right because God said it. We're not trying to be odd. We're not trying to be unusual. We're not, we're not trying to be defiant against the culture. Uh, we're not trying to be countercultural. But it's okay to believe things that are counter to the culture because they are biblical. Okay? Now, let me give you an example of this for a moment here. This is, again, this is not in the scripture, uh, not in the PowerPoint here, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's look at this together for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm just reminded of it here tonight and... These are bonuses. You don't have to pay your tithes to get these scriptures here. They're just, I'm going to give them to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, I need need you to stand back for a moment here and take a look at these two chapters, all right, for a moment. We're not going to read all of it here, but they deal with the subject of sexual issues, sexual and marriage issues. That's what these are about. And you can take the time and look at them uh, in your own study here, and uh, you, you, you will find as you, as you go down and look through this and look in the chapter here that uh, verse 18, for instance, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, it says, flee fornication. And this is the language of these two chapters here. And Paul is saying something very, very important to the believers of that day because the Corinthians were a people who hadn't really fully separated from the culture that they were in. The, the, the Greek culture in Corinth was a very, very powerful thing because they had been a superpower and their culture and their influence had spread globally back in that time. And Paul is going to them and these are people who are, uh, you know, they're very physical, they're very sensual, uh, they're athletes. This is where the Olympics began. Uh, these are people who are very focused on self and how they look, and their image, and how they present themselves, and how physically fit they are. 
and how attractive they are. And this is a big, big issue in, in Corinth, all right? They're a very sensual culture. They're obsessed with all of this. And I'm emphasizing this, and I, I want to do it in appropriate language here, but this is something that Paul takes time to deal with because it is so strong. They even have a man who is living in, in, in sin in the church, believing that it's okay because everyone around him in the culture thinks it's okay. So that has invaded, that has soaked into the church. This is an issue that Paul deals with because he knows this church and he visits them. All right? Everybody catching the drift here. Now, watch if you don't mind here. He says in verse 12, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any wrong thing. Just because it exists doesn't mean that I have to do it. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that it's right or profitable. Doesn't mean that I'm going to be bound by that. I mean, if everybody's, everybody's, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes, doesn't mean that I have to. It, it's lawful. It's not against the law for me to do that. But he says, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to be, I don't want to submit myself to the power of something other than the power of the Holy Spirit living in me. And he's, he's giving the people the permission to let the Holy Spirit lead them and guide them and, and be the controller of their life. All right? Now let's read on. Meats for the belly and belly for the meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God has raised up the Lord, both, sorry, and God hath both raised up the Lord, Jesus, he's referring to, and will also raise up us by his own power. So the same Quickening power, and this is what I've got written in my margin, and you need to remember this. The same quickening power that raised Jesus from the dead and helped him overcome everything, including death, is the same quickening power that you have, just in a measure. But it's not any different. And so if Jesus overcame, you can overcome, not by your own discipline, but by the the dunamis, by the power of the Holy Ghost that lives in you, It's the same thing that lived in Jesus. All right? Meats for the belly means, hey, this is an appetite. And an appetite is a thing, a craving, is something that you just satisfy. That's the illustration that he's giving here. Meats for the belly, belly for the meats. So, you know what? If I'm hungry, I'm going to satisfy that. Uh, If I crave something, I'm going to satisfy that. But Paul says there's a distinction now. He says in 13, now the body is not for fornication. Why does he say that here? Because in the Greek culture, a man could have a wife and he could have or was even expected to have consorts, concubines, and prostitutes. Homosexuality was very common back then. And it didn't matter at all. There was absolutely no moral boundary about a man having multiple partners all through his life, even when he was single, didn't matter. Even when he was married, didn't matter. There was nothing culturally. As a matter of fact, it was expected. It was a thing to do culturally. Now, a woman couldn't. A woman had to have, when she was married, she could only have one mate so that the genealogy of the children would never be in question. 
That's the reason why that, that, that uh, practice existed in the Greek culture. But a man could have multiple partners all at the same time. He could have slaves, and he could order those slaves to be uh, his concubines, and all the other things that went with that. And Paul is addressing that in here, that, listen, meats for the belly, belly for the meats. When you have a natural appetite, you're going to satisfy it. But when it comes to sexual things, hold on now. He says that relationship is reserved for one place and one place only. That's marriage. You know what he's doing? He's becoming countercultural. The culture doesn't believe it that way. He says, hey, doesn't matter. You've got the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same one that's in you. Therefore, you can resist the appetites in that area because that's reserved for marriage. And you know what? Marriage in the Christian church is one man, one woman forever. So here he is now. This would be about as popular as, you know, ham and eggs at a bar mitzvah. This is not the way everybody around him thinks. But you know what? doesn't matter. There's no double standard here. We're not going to live one way as Christians and then go outside the church and live another way. And there's not one standard for you as Corinthians and someone else in the Ephesian church. Hey, listen, either this, this is the way that uh, God has ordained it. This is the way that God designed it. And he would start right from the book of Genesis and say, this is the beginning. This is the way it started out. And this is God's intention all the way through. Paul says, we still believe that. doesn't matter what the, what the culture says. And I would say this to you as families. I think it's really, really important for us and for me to teach it in the church, for Sunday school teachers and for parents and grandparents to teach it to their children that it doesn't matter what the culture is doing or what the culture allows or what the culture protects by law. It doesn't matter at all. As Christians, we have one law. That law is higher than the law of the land. And you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the... When you do that, you're becoming countercultural, but hey, so what? I don't mean that disrespectfully, but let's, let's continue to read on what Paul says right here. And God has raised up the Lord and, and us up also by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For the two saith he shall be one flesh. There is something different about about a relationship, intercourse with a woman that's different than just eating watermelon. And I don't mean to be carnal, but Paul is making sure that... Listen, you, you might think that's funny, but in that culture, that's not the way they... They didn't view it like Paul described here. They viewed it like, hey, if you felt like doing this, go ahead and do it. If you felt like doing that, go ahead and do that. There was no, there was no restrictions. There was no limitations. There was no boundaries at all. It was every man for himself. And we, they operated on the basis of their feelings. And Paul takes this whole idea of marriage and sexual relations and everything else, takes it to a higher level, and he says, He that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So, here's what you need to do, church. Verse 18. Corinthian church, read it. Flee fornication. We don't try to find a way around the word. We don't try to find a way around the message. We don't try to find loopholes in the message uh, to get around what the scripture says. You can't say it much plainer than this when he says flee fornication. 
Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And what? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. And ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And if that's not clear enough, He goes on in chapter 7 and he begins and he says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And all the way down through and comes right out in the end of chapter 7. And the message is pretty clear. God certainly has boundaries. God certainly has uh, rules. God certainly has, uh, you know, uh, banks of the river uh, that that he wants to uh, have the people of God operate within. And you know what? You'd be well advised to pay attention to God's word if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you don't care. But if you're a Christian, hey, we, we need to care. And um, <clears throat> I think, I think it's important to preach it. As old-fashioned as I am, and as old-fashioned as I get called, and I do get called old-fashioned, I don't care. Now, I don't want to be outdated. I want to be, I want to be current. I want to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. And I want to be right with the Word. So I need to adjust my vernacular a little bit, right? Because, you know, hey, back in my day, my wife and I wrote letters. Remember those? Yeah, where you sat down with a blank slate and you took a writing instrument and you actually wrote cursive writing. Lick the envelope, lick the stamp, put it in the mail. Remember that? Some of you old-timers are saying, yeah, I remember the good old days. Things have changed, right? Things have changed. So I get that, and, and I can handle that. But don't come to me and say, I don't have to flee fornication. Uh, that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear, right? So all the other churches are doing it. That matters not. And it's entirely up to you what you do. But I think it is important for us to teach it right. It's entirely up to you what you're going to do because people are going to do what they're going to do anyway. Brother Branham said that. My mother-in-law always said that. People are going to do what they're going to do. But we have to teach it anyway. And I think that's very important. So it, it, it doesn't come Overnight. I mean, I, I understand that. And families are always changing and growing, right? I mean, you know, kids are getting older and a new generation are hearing this for the first time. And I, I get that. I understand that. So it takes patiently building things. Now, uh, I, we, recently we, we took, uh, we took uh, two of our granddaughters and we went down to Mount Airy. And we were visiting down in the town there and we got a ride in Barney's car. And uh, we were riding around. And you know, one, if you've ever done that, it, it's, a, it's kind of a fun thing. But if you've ever done that, the first thing you do is take it to the quarry. Now, who knew? But Mount Airy has the largest open quarry for marble quartz. Is it quartz? Stone. Is it quartz? Anyway, it's a white stone that is really, um, it's like marble. And it, it, it is the largest open quarry in the world. They say, they say, whoever they are, but they say that astronauts can even see that quarry from, from space. 
uh, it is so so large and so bright. So that, oddly enough, when you go to Mount Airy and ride around in the in the squad car, that's the first place they take you, which is really funny. And uh, so we we were there, and and the driver who was driving us around was giving us bits of information about the town, and he brought us to places where uh, they had buildings made of this stone of this quartz. And they said that in the old days, when the builders used to build it, uh, whenever they came to a project and they started, they had two bags of stones hanging on their belt. And one was a larger stone and one was a small stone, little round stones that looked like marbles. And they said that the stone was so heavy that when they placed the stones one on top of the other, they would put uh, mortar in between the stones, and usually it's a thin layer of mortar, and they would put in four marbles on the four corners of the lower stone so that the upper stone didn't squish out all the concrete before it was dried. So uh, 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 the old-fashioned builders, they don't do that now, but the old-fashioned, I think they use some sort of a wedge now, but the old-fashioned builders had this bag of stones by the, by, on their belt all the time because when they were laying the block, they had to do it at a certain pace because if they went too fast, the block would squish out the concrete and then they'd have weakness. They brought us to buildings that, the driver brought us to buildings that were like over 100 years old that looked like they were built yesterday. They were still shiny and um, sharp-looking and sturdy, no cracks, nothing at all. And, and it was because of the way that they had built it, and they took the time to let that mortar set properly between the bricks. I'm likening that to my job. I have marbles in my pocket that I'll put in there. And we just lay them in there so that you know, in, in our excitement, sometimes we can pile too much in there and it'll squish out mortar that binds it all together. So in saying things like this and doing a series like this and talking about marriage or family or whatever else, whatever other series, sometimes what you need to do is just put a little pebble in there, a little stone in there that lets everything set and then you move on. Add another layer and add, a, add another layer. But we want to make sure that the end result and the end result and the end product is strong. The wall is strong. So to me, the principles that I give to you are intended to last a long time and hopefully through the turmoil that lays ahead of us when you can see that families and morality and biblical understanding and biblical teaching and homeschooling and all the other uh, things that are out there are being attacked slowly, one by one, one after the other. Uh, it's being undermined. It's being eroded and it's being uh, changed and all the other things that are going on. Let me tell you, your family needs to remain strong through all of that. And I want to make sure the mortar dries between all the stones that we're laying down so that in the end result, your building will last. Now, <clears throat> let me just, and I, I realize I'm, I'm taking my time here this, this evening here, but I, I, I want to get to this key, but I, I have to talk a little bit uh, before we get to it. Last time, we talked a little bit about three things that cause unrest in the home, and one of them was the spirit of rebellion in Jeremiah chapter 28. And therefore, thus saith the Lord, I will cast thee off the face of the earth. And this was God uh, speaking to the false prophet who said that there were going to be three years captivity instead of 70 years captivity in the time of Jeremiah. And he says, this year thou shalt die because thou hast taught rebellion against the Lord. And so God never tolerates rebellion. Uh, and this prophet died within the year. And uh, he was very, very adamant. He had an attitude that he was absolutely correct because he wanted to be correct, but he was wrong. And in his heart, and this is the, some, one of those things that God uncovers, uh, when rebellion is there, it'll come out eventually. 
but it can lay low for a long time, and it comes out in certain attitudes, and it comes out in certain actions here. Very often the way it comes out is in this attitude of defiance. And in defiance is a readiness to resist. So you will find a a child, for instance, can be, uh, they can have a rebellious nature, but you'll see them eventually become defiant, and they're ready to resist whatever authority is in front of them, whether it's mom and dad, uh, whether it's school, whether it's a pastor, or whatever else. They have no hesitation about resisting. And this was found in Numbers chapter 23 when uh, Balak hired Balaam to curse the people. He said, come curse me, Jacob, and come and defy Israel. I want you to show anger now towards Israel. I want you to, uh, I want you to act on this now. This is not just a feeling I have, but I want you to act against Israel, and I want you to stand there and pronounce the curse on them. And Balaam asked the question, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? Because this is going to have consequences. And either you're going to have to be right or you're not going to be, you're going to be in a heap of trouble. And Balaam knew this. But eventually he was, he had a price and he was bought out and did what he did. Now, the third thing that, uh, that I I mentioned was this, this idea of, uh, how that children sometimes can be, uh, struggling with something and they're not defiant. They're not bad. They're not, uh, evil, uh, but they have problems coping, and many times it can be because a parent's expectations are too high. And so a child can live frustrated because no human being on earth could live up to that expectation. Uh, there are times when a child might have a diagnosable, a real physical issue that may be treatable. And certainly children who, are, who struggle in certain areas, that doesn't mean that they can't excel and they can't learn and they can't grow. Not at all. It, it just means that we've got to adjust the way we teach and instruct them. That's all. We had to make adjustments. But there are a lot of parents who live in denial. And denial is not just a river that runs through Egypt. They live in denial and don't want to acknowledge the fact that their child may somehow be different and they'll continue to push that child because they're afraid it will reflect badly on them. And when you do that, you're setting your child up for failure. You're setting your child up for a life of frustration and they will act out in really bad and unusual ways. And so therefore, there are things that we need to be sensitive about. And if you're not sure, uh, you know, like, I was talking to somebody today, not in this church. I was talking to somebody today, and I said, you know, sometimes you've got to uh, take a neutral, as neutral uh, look at your own child as possible and see why are, they, why are they acting so crazy? Why are they doing the things they're doing? Do they drink six Mountain Dew a day? Uh, do they have, you know, total jurisdiction over their own diet and what they eat? Because that might be a factor. Do they have the pressure of being a, say, a child who is constantly compared to another child. And, uh, what, what did you, your brother, I never had to talk to your brother like this. Why, did, why can't you be good like your brother? Why can't you listen like all other children? And why can't you be normal? And when you begin to say things like that, you're setting that child up for frustration for sure. And a lot of times, parents, in our frustration, we don't even realize we're doing it. Don't even realize that that's happening. But there are a lot of kids who are younger in the spectrum or they're 
uh, they can be older, who are constantly being reminded that they've got to live up to the parents' expectations. I have lots of examples, but we have lots of people who are listening. So, I will tell you that that is a real thing for parents to consider because uh, it is not a mark of shame at all if a child needs, uh, you know, maybe some extra help in, in certain areas. Not a mark of shame at all. All children are not created equal. Just like, <laughs> if you want an example, just take out your camera and take a selfie. Then look at the selfie and realize that all adults are created differently too. None of you are perfect. None of us are perfect. And so therefore, uh, I think it's in fairness, I think that parenting is a real challenge today because we want to uh, certainly, uh, you know, help develop our children as best as we possibly can and to give them the running chances that they need, especially uh, today. All right, so the scripture says that marriage is honorable in all and the bed is undefiled. And so the, the way that Paul summarizes, I mean, this is a, a great truth that's summarized in one very short sentence, that uh, there is a, a right way and a, a wrong way to go about marriage and relationships. This is, not about, uh, this is not about how we conduct ourselves in church, and this is not about how you, uh, you, know, how you allocate your finances and so forth. Marriage is a very important thing, and to get it right is a blessing, but to get it wrong, God's going to have a say in that. Okay, so... I, th- I think it's, it's a, a thing that is worth underscoring. We mentioned before to you that the, the ancient, if you like, or the former attitude about marriage was very important, that the earlier ideal of marriage is as a permanent covenant union, a permanent covenant union designed for the sake of mutual love, procreation, and protection. Now, let me say it this way. As long as war is assumed as an, an alternative or an option, as long as war is assumed as an option, we will not be forced to imagine any other option to war. Let me say it again. As long as war is assumed as an option, we will not be forced to imagine any other option to war. If you have a disagreement with another nation and war is an option, you'll never have to think about What do we do if we couldn't go to war? We'd have to make peace with that country. We'd have to somehow work it out. All right, let me substitute a word in here in the scripture. As long as divorce is is an option, we will not be forced to imagine any other option to divorce. Did you get what I just said? As long as divorce is an option, we will not be forced to imagine any other option to divorce. If the bottom line is in Malachi that God hates divorce, and I know sometimes it happens and so forth. I'm not referring to any individual here. I'm talking in a general sense here. That if divorce is is something that God is displeased with, then we're going to try to look at all the other options to work things out because we've taken that option off the table. I hope it's... I hope as Christians today, you've taken that option off the table. All right, if that's not on the table, if that's not what we have left to negotiate with, then we've got to look at all the ways that God's given us to kind of make peace and work this thing out with our spouse. Because, you know what, we're in a, we're in a long-term relationship. According to this, we're in a long-term relationship. We're in it for, right to the very end, right till death do us part. Are we Okay. So 
I've taken that option off the table. Now, listen, the world doesn't think like that, right? The world thinks now that, you know what? If, if, if things are not what I intended them to be, if they're not what I want them to be, then divorce is an option that's on the table. And my goodness, our society has made divorce a pretty easy thing now, right? It's a pretty quick and easy thing. And so, therefore, that's still on the table for lots of people. But as for us as Christians now, we, we've taken that off the table. We've got to use all the tools at our disposal to make peace with somebody who we may not feel loves us back. It's easy to love somebody who loves you. But when we feel no love in return, you know what? If divorce is not an option, we've got to do whatever we've got to do to try to make this thing work. Because you know why? We're in it long term. Am I making sense? The thought today is different. Because today, marriage is very, and this is one person's definition here, is a terminal contract designed for the gratification of individual parties. So in other words, I want you to satisfy the needs that I have. I gave you this uh, idea last time when we were here that marriage provided certain things and people look to God to provide other things. But if you take God out of the picture, if, if you talk about atheists or nuns or uh, N-O-N-E-S or other people that don't follow the scripture, for instance, they, they take God out of the picture. Now marriage has to provide everything and that's really an impossible task for anyone to provide to a spouse because they're not God. They're not perfect. Far from it. I was listening to a story that a preacher told about a bridge that he had, which was near his house. And it was an old bridge. And um, they, were, they were amazed at it as little kids because uh, it was crumbling and it was kind of decaying and everybody knew it and he said that in our childhood he said we'd go underneath the the bridge and we would look at it when a heavy truck came over some heavy vehicle and we'd look up and see that there would be cracks in that bridge and with the weight of that vehicle the cracks would open up a little bit now that's pretty stupid to be under a bridge where there's cracks but that's what 10 year old boys do right now let me tell you something the truck never created the crack. It only brought out the crack that was there. Cracks happen over time. But when you put the stress on that bridge, now all of a sudden the cracks are manifest. Let me tell you something. None of us are perfect, and all of us came into marriage with flaws. Right? All, hey, there are no perfect young people. There are no perfect brides and grooms. Are we Okay. You put stress on that marriage, and watch what happens. There are some things that show up all of a sudden. We didn't see them in courtship because, you know what? There was no pressure. There was no stress. Everything was great. And he held the door open for her all the time. And, uh, you know, he, he always was respectful and polite to her and went to her immediately after church was over and stood next to her after church. And, but when stresses come within the marriage... Some of you are looking at me saying, I remember when my husband did that about 25 years ago. But when stresses come into marriage, it only shows the imperfections that all of us have. Because there are no perfect people. So if you're expecting your spouse to be perfect, or you're spending your energy in trying to change that spouse into something that's perfect, you should really begin with yourself first. And there ain't no way that you're going to be able to do that.
the assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we'll find the right person, the perfect person. This moral assumption, as an author wrote, this moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. You thought you knew her, right, when you proposed to her. You thought you knew everything about her when you asked her to marry you. You have no idea what they'll become. You have no idea what they'll turn into. You'll have no idea what life's going to throw at you. The way, I, the way I'm learning to look at it, and I'm not, I'm not good at this, but the way I'm learning to look at this is that my wife is a predestinated daughter of God, and God intended certain things for her. I want to be a part to help her to become what God has ordained her to become. And the best way that I'm going to do that is not to criticize her and not to make her feel bad about herself in any way, but rather to assist the Holy Spirit in my role as a husband to help her to become all that God has intended for her. That, my friend, is a mission. That mission is not accomplished in a 24-hour cycle. That mission is accomplished over time. You say, well, Brother Barry, you don't know my husband. He's an idiot. He's, I mean, he's just, you know, he doesn't do this right, he doesn't do that right. I got a list of faults that's there. Now, the problem is you're not taking the selfie and looking at that first. All right, let's put it this way. Let's say it this way, all right? The only way that we can tolerate being imperfect people trying to live with an imperfect person as well is through not trying to put our energy into changing that person, but rather through our relationship with Christ. The only way you're going to be able to live with them and live with yourself living with them is through your relationship with Christ. Because when that relationship is strong, hey, isn't it true that he loved me even when I was unlovable? He loved me when I was a sinner. He loved me when he had, when there was nothing good happening in my life, but he loved me anyway and he forgave me. And he called me and he predestinated me. And I realize I'm forgiven. I stand justified as though I never did it in the first place. And I realize that with all that grace that's been shown to me, I love him with all of my heart. He's first in my life. And you know what? Because you experience that and you believe that and you know that, you can also look at this person with their faults and say, Hey, I know you got faults. I, I know that things uh, you know, are, are not all square in your life because of your past and all this other stuff that's gone on. But you know what? The same God that has ministered to me and forgiven me and loves me and has patience with me and extends grace to me, that's the same God that you serve as well. And we exist and we continue to exist because of our relationship with Christ. That's why you need to marry a Christian. Because imagine what it's like if it's just you as a Christian has a relationship with Christ. And this person over here is looking at you and saying, why can't you be this? And why can't you be that? And why can't you be something else? They're not going to extend grace if they don't have grace to extend. They're not going to show mercy if they've never been shown mercy themselves. Even if we first marry that right person in our own eyes, just give it a little while and they'll change. For marriage being the enormous thing that it is means that we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married to. Let me tell you, the basis of marriage is not on feelings and passion because they come and go. 
You feel close to your husband or your wife for a while. You feel passionate about them for a while, but that comes and goes. A long-term commitment, a long-term dedication to the covenant of marriage is the essence. All right, now let me tell you a strange story. You're going to think, whoa, where does he get this stuff? This is a, I'm going to warn you. This is a story out of Greek mythology. It's a story of Ulysses. Anybody ever heard of Ulysses? See, I'm not the only one. Now, Ulysses was a uh, fictionally, and you know, according to mythology, he was a great sailor. And uh, he sailed the seas and conquered lands and so forth. And there was a, a place uh, that Ulysses uh, sailed past and uh, he uh, went, went across the seas and, and went around different places. There were some places that were more dangerous than others. And one of the most dangerous places in the journeys of Ulysses was a place called the Sirens. And the Sirens was a place where there were angels who were there, these uh, creatures who looked like angels, and they sang beautifully. They sang uh, in, in harmony that was like out of this world. It was absolutely extraordinary. And it would captivate the sailors. And the sailors would lose their mind. I mean, they'd just become uh, totally uh, uh, reckless. They'd become totally inoperable. They'd be totally uh, smitten by these angels. And as a result, they would make bad decisions and they would run their boat up on the rocks and they'd all die. So Ulysses said, when they were going past the sirens once, this first time, he told his so- sailors, let's boil up some wax and heat it, and all of you sailors put the wax in your ears so you can't hear the singing. And I want you to tie me to the mast. Tie me to the mast of the ship so that I will not forsake my duty because I'm going to be the only one who's hearing. I'm going to be the only one who's listening. And if I listen to these singing of these angels, I told you this was strange, but if I hear the this, this singing, I'll lose my sense of, uh, you know, self, and I'll do crazy things, and we'll run aground because I'm given wrong orders. So tie me to the mast and assign four soldiers to hold a sword up to my chest. In case I escape, you'll kill me instantly because I will not be able to make right decisions as long as I'm listening to those angels singing. So he tied them, they, they tied him to the mast, and he directed the, uh, the, the ship all during that time when they passed through the sirens there, and, and they made it. You know, historically, the, the story is told that they made it. Ulysses got through. But he couldn't run away. <clears throat> what you, Brother Barry, what are you talking about? I'm telling you that sometimes, sometimes we need all the resources we can muster to stay the course. It always isn't easy when things happen, when health changes, when unexpected things happen in your life. People do crazy things. People will do really odd and strange things. The mast that Ulysses was tied to becomes the stay. It was, if you like, we call it the marriage certificate. Even today, in medicine, in medical fields, the, a, a living will and the medical power of attorney is called a Ulysses agreement. It means that there's a document, that's the term they use today in law, it's a document that no matter what happens to me, and if I lose my mind and I can't make decisions about myself, I'm making them now and putting them in writing 
so that no matter how, I, if I get dementia years up the road, I will have my wishes expressed in this Ulysses document. Do you get the connection? So I'm tied to this document because I did it in my right mind. I did it in my choice. So if, even if I lose my mind, don't untie me from the document. Some people will say in this world, ah, we don't need to get married because the majority of people in our culture today cohabit before they get married. More than 50% live together before they get married. By the way, statistically, that's a foolish thing to do because statistically, if people live together before they get married, they are always more likely to divorce than people who don't cohabit before they get married. And when you talk to people who cohabit and say, why don't you just go ahead and get married? If you're living together and you have children and you're in the same household and everything else, well, they say, well, it's just a piece of paper. All right. If it's just a piece of paper, what are you worried about? If it's just a piece of paper, why don't you go ahead and get it? Especially if your wife really wants to have the piece of paper to say that you're married instead of making her feel like she feels. If it's only a piece of paper, what are you concerned about? But people know it's more than just a piece of paper. Isn't that true? People know this represents a commitment. This represents a Ulysses-type agreement that, you know what? I am bound to this. I'm I'm committed to this. And before I lose my mind, and before I do crazy and stupid things, I want to submit myself to this covenant agreement with this person. Before they grow old, before they change, before odd things happen in my life, in their life, I I want to be bound to this person forever. Because that's what a Christian marriage really is all about. It's not to disregard or jump ship just because times get hard. It's not just to jump ship because some new pretty girl or pretty boy comes along. It's to stay the course. And we're going to do whatever we're going to, whatever we can in order to stay the course. Brother Branham says it like this. When a man loves a woman and marries her because she's pretty, there'll be an end to that. If a man loves a woman just because she's pretty, to be an end to that, that's not a real good basis for any marriage. But when a man finds a woman that he loves, and he don't know why, but he loves her, and she finds the man that she loves no matter what he looks like, he, lo- she lo- he loves her, she loves him, that's an eternal mating glory because they are from eternity and they stepped out into the space of time and will return back to eternity. A woman that's beautiful, that beauty will fade. Give it a few years. But a love that's based on more than just looks and the outside, but someone who's got a real covenant relationship with a spouse, let me tell you, that relationship is bound for eternity because it only stepped out of eternity. Hey, isn't that the way you want to have your relationship with Christ? Sure it is. I mean, hey, we have ups and downs and we have all kinds of things. Sometimes you feel close to God, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel like he's left you, sometimes you feel like you've left him. I mean, there are all kinds of feelings and things that we go through, but aren't you glad the covenant is stronger than your feelings? Thank God for marriage that the covenant is stronger than our feelings. We are tied. We are bound. And glad of it. Let's stand on our feet. So therefore, heading into marriage, we've got to head in with the right reasons. And we've got to head into it with the right outlook. And we've got to head into it with the right motive. Because we want it to last. Things change. So there are times when we just need to embrace the incompatibility and look forward to what it's all becoming. 
It may not be the perfect ideal scenario for people at the moment, but I will tell you something. If you hang on to it because God's ordained it, it'll become what God intends it to be. That's not just theory. I believe that's what Paul is talking about when he says that marriage is honorable. It is God's design. It is God's way to deal with us in the most intimate and deeper way like a husband and wife deal with one another and God wants to deal with us. Not just in a surface way and make you feel good in the service and go to a camp meeting and feel good. Hey, that's great. I mean, we, there are times when we all need to experience that and we need to experience that thrill of being close and all the rest of it. But you know what, I'm, what, what I really strive for is that deep, enduring, solid, consistent love, that relationship that doesn't change over time. It just gets better and better, richer and richer and closer and closer. That's what we want over time. Let me tell you, I wouldn't leave and go away anywhere if I felt like this thing was going to fall apart or you were going to turn your back on me uh, because I was gone. I wouldn't leave. I'd be afraid something might happen. I will tell you, I have no fear that something's going to happen. You know why? Because I believe the same God that deals with me is the same God that deals with you. And I believe you have a sincere motive and you have a sincere attitude among you and so forth. And we have a relationship. We have a trust We have a bond. That's a great thing to have with a group of people. That's a great thing to have with a a, a group called a church. And you know what? I just want it to get better. I want it to get stronger. I want it to be not only us here when we're here, but I want you to take some of it home and apply it in your family so that your families are stronger, your marriages are stronger, and you're raising kids to have uh, you know, a godly home when they get older and they serve the Lord and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what I'd like to have. That's what I'd like to have. We'd also like to have Matt. Let's sing the little chorus, Falling in Love with Jesus, the best thing I've ever done. Let's sing that together. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Us falling in love with Jesus, the best thing I've ever, ever done. Sing that again now, one more time. Falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus. I feel protected in his arms, never disconnected. In his arms, I feel protected, no place I'd ever other be. Falling in love with Jesus, falling with my Jesus I'm falling in love with my Jesus 
Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship on us for Oh, every praise, every praise is to our not just an absence of war but Lord we want to have our relationships right so that even if there is war our relationships are strong but Lord we know that in reality 
your desire would be for us to have the right kind of peace. I believe that you would even want it for us more than we would want it ourselves. Because we are the children who are supposed to be dominated by the Prince of Peace. We are the children of the covenant. We are the children who have been forgiven. We are the sons and daughters of God who can hold our head high and say we are justified as though we never sinned in the first place. Lord, you have done great things for us. May we in turn extend that forgiveness, that love, that mercy, that grace to others. And Lord, may we begin in our relationship. May we begin with our children. May we begin with our parents. And Lord, when we do that, I believe we are expressing the mind of Christ. We're expressing the love of Christ. And that's a really important thing. Lord, we we thank you for our times together. And we're so precious and so wonderful. And I ask now, Lord, that you would bless the balance of our week as we go forward. And Lord, I know that there are some who are not well here tonight, some going through some difficult things. And those are people who are listening and maybe not here because of stresses. And we think of our brother Jeff Jackson, Lord, and going home from the hospital tonight. And Father, I just pray that you would bind up his wounds, Lord, and may he be strong. And Lord, may the problems that he has dealt with over the last couple of years, Lord, may, may they be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, may you give him total and complete healing and deliverance in his body. Lord, we place every troubled soul at your feet tonight. Pray that you would just calm our anxious hearts. May we realize, Lord, that in a world that's full of turmoil and strife, we can actually, actually exhibit peace. That's a great thing. Bless the people now, I pray, Lord. I just ask that good things would come their way. Protect them and watch over them. Until we meet again, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And all God's people said, I will praise the Lord that you sing. Sing tonight as you go. I... I will praise the Lord. Matter what tomorrow brings, what he has in store.
Lord, and find that there is no 